I mean, this take is god-awful. There's no way that you, somebody who in their spare time delivers food for Grubhub or DoorDash or whatever, thinks that pickup is the superior option. No shot. Yes, I, I do Grubhub, but I also worked at a store where we had a lot of Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats orders, and I know you work at a restaurant where you have that too. Mm-hmm. So you would you would know that sometimes the drivers don't come until 20 minutes 25 minutes after the food is done that's problem number one right there pretty much all of the time if you order grubhub or doordash you are going to get cold food two you're obviously waiting longer three you're paying more grubhub increases their prices from what the actual prices are at the restaurant so you're paying more for what you want then you have to tip if you're not a scumbag and then you also have to pay extra taxes and fees so it's just a lose 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 situation when you're ordering through delivery services like i would much rather either a go to the restaurant and eat in the restaurant and tip the server okay b if i'm ordering let's say like a local burger joint i'd rather just go there order the food wait for it there and then either eat it there or bring it home Or if you are ordering fast food, which I assume that people order like McDonald's, Taco Bell on Grubhub and DoorDash, why not just go to fucking McDonald's? Why have to wait? It makes no sense to me. There's just no pros. Let let me rephrase that. There's one pro to getting delivery, and that is when you're a lazy piece of shit and you don't want to get up and go get it yourself. So that helps. And, you know, it might be late at night. And you don't want to get out of bed. It's 12 o'clock. You want Taco Bell. Whatever. You get a DoorDash. That's fine. But other than that, it's it's just a nut low situation. And I think most people would agree because usually you're the one that doesn't agree with the popular takes. All right. Watch this. I'm going to completely destroy your argument within a matter of seconds here. Let me phrase it to you like this. All right. When I open up my food delivery app of choice, Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, whatever it is. It's not that I'm being lazy, right? I'm not just ordering food. What I'm doing is cheating the system, okay? I'm winning at life. I'm converting money into time. And if that's something that you ever have the opportunity to do ever in life, you take it, okay? I know how much money I have, all right? And I know about a thousand more ways I can go get more. If I need it, if I want it, it's out there. It's it's there for the taking. Time, on the other hand, it's finite. There's a limited supply And not only that, but God only knows how much of it we have. You know, I could die tomorrow. I could crash my car. I could get jumped, stabbed, mass shot. Shout out to America for that. And if that happens, I'm sitting there with my last seconds thinking about life. Am I going to be upset that I spent that extra five, six, shit, even $10 on food yesterday, stimulating the economy, giving it to somebody like yourself who's out there delivering the food? Or am I going to be upset that I wasted those precious 30 minutes that it took to get in my car and and go pick up whatever food it is that I wanted. You know, those 30 minutes I could have used for anything, working on this podcast, working on myself, meditating, finding inner peace, taking a walk around the block, enjoying nature, making love to a woman, whatever it is, it was my time. I chose it. I lived it. I smelled the roses for those moments. And that's the bottom line, okay? You're a slave to capitalism and the fear of overspending money when the alternative is overspending time is the true lose-lose. I rest my case. See, but you're not overspending your time. You're going to get what you need for your body. How's that a waste of time? I would say sitting at home, most likely watching Netflix or on your computer playing Call of Duty 
that's a waste of time. I don't do those kind of things. Sit at home, <laughs> watch Netflix. That's play, play that's Call cap. Of Duty. That's cap. Have I been no, on Call no, of no, Duty no. in the last three weeks, Joey? You, no, you I'm out here been grinding. On, okay, you haven't I'm, been I'm on COD on life, <laughs> on happiness. Try it sometime. Value yourself more. <laughs> I I do value myself. That's why I go and pick up the food myself because I don't want to depend on another person to bring me my food. Okay, I depend on myself. Mm. You know, there's a chance that you get the wrong order. There's a chance that your order just gets canceled. There's a chance that your order just gets stolen. And then you're sitting there with a hungry stomach like, what the what the hell is going on? I mean, there's a ch- there's a chance that a meteor comes down from the heavens and kills us all, bro. But you got to. But the, a there's a that. higher chance of what I said happening than a meteor coming down and crashing into Earth. This is a gambling podcast. You never a way higher a chance, chance before. A way higher chance, Benny. <laughs> You know, we're, we're way too long into this. <laughs> cut, cut this. Cut this. this no. Just, <laughs> you're just so wrong. It's, it's crazy. No. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 143 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to be zeroing in on a handful of players that we personally just can't get behind for fantasy football in 2021. You could call it our fade list, call them ADP landmines, players to avoid, call it whatever you want. Just do not draft these guys if you were trying to win. These are the five most overvalued players in fantasy right now. One player with a first round ADP. We'll get to that towards the end of the show. Also, Devontae Adams 1v1. We're going to debate his current stock in fantasy. It's going to be a loaded episode, so strap in, chill out, buckle up, do whatever you got to do to catch this vibe. And if you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. And if you'd like to, you can find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Mondays. Joey, before we get into our top 2021 fades, I want to hit on a subject that's been getting the Twitter timeline all hot and bothered today, and that's Antonio Gibson, sophomore running back for the Washington football team. His ADP on underdog is running back 14, pick 19. So we're talking about a mid-second round player, and Gibson's stock appears to be on the rise, right? Washington's head coach, Ron Rivera, was quoted on Wednesday saying that he expects a big jump from Gibson. And there was also a report last week from John Kahn of ESPN saying that the team wants to get Gibson more involved as a receiver this season. Look, we're at that point in the offseason, early June. That's all it takes. A little bit of coach speak, especially mm-hmm. about a running back catching more passes. And, and goddamn, you know, we're off to the races. ADP is spiking. I saw Gibson go at 2.1 in a draft that I did this morning. So let me hear your thoughts on Antonio Gibson. He's not a guy that I think either of us have been overtly focusing on, but maybe we need to take a closer look. Yeah, I, I do think that we need to take a closer look with Antonio Gibson because, like you mentioned, he's a player that's rising in the fantasy football community right now and has been the talk of fantasy Twitter. (laughs) I wasn't the biggest Antonio Gibson fan last year. I don't have that same take. I think he's fine right now at his current ADP of running back 14 on underdog. And when it's all said and done in the next couple of weeks, I think he's going to leapfrog Najee Harris and Joe Mixon into the top 12. Those are the two that are currently above him. And 
God, I mean, like you said, the the coach speak is going to increase his stock dramatically. And shout out to FFB Victoria on Twitter. She posted this tweet. Got to give credit. CMC and Antonio Gibson were both coached by Ron Rivera in their rookie seasons. And they both put up like middling numbers, you know, had decent touches, scrimmage yards, whatever, whatever. But the next season, it was off to the races with CMC, who was a 300 touch plus player, had 13 touchdowns, almost 2000 scrimmage yards, and was the PPR running back too. I'm not saying that's going to happen with Antonio Gibson, but I think he's going to see more than his 200 total touches from last season. And I also believe that JD McKissick, who had what 111 targets, and then also played on more snaps than Antonio Gibson, in in 9 out of 14 games where they were both healthy last year. I don't think that will happen again this season. Most of those snaps should go to Antonio Gibson. His ceiling is bigger than it was last year. I think I have to start drafting some more shares of Antonio Gibson, to be honest. See, I I like Gibson where he's going right now, sort of, but I still think he's going ahead of players with more upside guys like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and and DeAndre Swift, even to a certain extent. The the issue that I have is that JD McKissick, in my opinion, he's not going to go away. That's the same offensive coordinator. It's the same coaching staff that utilized McKissick in that way. I don't see why that would change other than, you know, fantasy Twitter wanting there to be another elite dual threat running back. It seems like wish casting. You know, JD McKissick was second in the league last year in targets per game, second most receptions in the league at the running back position, 80 catches, and he was averaging more than double the targets per game than Antonio Gibson was at any point. So it's just, it seems like a stretch and maybe Gibson takes over more snaps. I just don't know what the upside is when there's a player who's realistically going to be seeing more targets than him on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, but I, I think that was also boosted with Alex Smith, a notorious check down passer. That's not the case for 2021 with Fitzpatrick coming in and maybe even Taylor Heineke has a shot at the starting job too. So I would expect JD McKissick's role to be kind of reduced in 2021. I don't expect him to play more more snaps than Antonio Gibson on a per game basis. Like I just mentioned, he outsnapped Gibson by almost 240 plus snaps or so last year. I don't expect that to be the case. JD McKissick is just another guy. He's not that great of a player in terms of NFL standards. Yeah, he can catch passes. Yeah, they might use him. But if I'm projecting for this season, Antonio Gibson will take a majority of his snaps. And we know that Gibson was a wide receiver in college. So he's capable of being that guy that can get 100 plus targets. It's just all about whether or not Ron Rivera will use him in that way. Obviously, last season, they didn't use him in that way. And, you know, you're kind of projecting or hoping that he does get used in that way. But I think he will because J.D. McKissick, I mean, come on, bro. I mean, he's nothing. He's he's not good. I mean, just noting the point that you made about Fitzpatrick, though, I think that, you know, some fallout that we could see from that is that you know, all these running backs are getting less targets and he's pushing the ball downfield quite a bit more than Alex Smith was and, you know, boosting assets like McLaurin and Curtis Samuel Mm -hmm. more than either of these guys. So I I guess it remains to be seen. I just, I agree with you, you know, McKissick ain't all that, but it's not what we think. It's what the coaching staff thinks. And it's the same coaching staff that, you know, allowed McKissick to have the second most receptions of any running back in the league last year. So to summarize, I think he's a good pick at his current value, but if he starts creeping into the first round, I don't think that I can justify taking him over players like Eckler, Chubb, Akers, even Najee Harris, Joe Mixon. So we'll see how high he goes.
Moving on to our next segment, players to avoid. Uh, we got five guys here that we're going to highlight, and let's stick with the Washington football team, Joey. And, and this one might be painful for you because this was yeah, your very, very. boy last year. Like you were one of the only people on him. This was a huge dub for you, you know, ultimately in terms of projecting a player. And now he's on our players to avoid list. Logan Thomas, the tight end 10 on underdog, going with an ADP of 103.1, going in the top 10 rounds. So what's happened uh, for you to to change your mind about Logan Thomas <laughs> in one year? Yeah, it, it pains me to have this conversation, especially as an LT3 tout. Yeah, the original. The, the OG, yeah. all right? They call me the tight end whisperer. And, you know, as the tight end whisperer, Logan Thomas was, was my boy last year. And then to start the season, I was playing him in DFS. I don't know if anybody else was, but I was, I was. on the train week one. You weren't on the train week one. I know that you you were not on the train. I was on the train heading the engine, you know, <laughs> steering the train and it worked out and I and I got paid off for believing in Logan Thomas last season. But now he's going as the tight end 10 after finishing as the tight end for last season, which is whatever to me. I'm just not interested in Logan Thomas right now at his current ADP. I mean, we just touched on Antonio Gibson and how he should see an increased workload, which will take away opportunities from Logan Thomas, I believe. Then they added Curtis Samuel. They added De'Ami Brown through the draft. So those are two players that will immediately step in and see targets from Ryan Fitzpatrick. So for me, that leaves Logan Thomas as the guy that's going to take the biggest hit in this Washington offense. Logan Thomas only had three games where he scored more than 13.7 points in full PPR last season, and he only had two games where he had above 66 receiving yards. I expect that to stay around the same in 2021. And for me, even though like he's athletically gifted and that's what we look for in like late round tight ends and that's who you should be targeting he didn't really look that great in a majority of the games that he played in just from watching the Washington games like he couldn't separate that much and you know he was making contested catches but it's not what we wanted to see out of a guy that was supposed to be this athletic specimen you know kind of Darren Waller-esque so I like LT as a player but there's other tight ends with similar upside going five six rounds later that I'm personally interested in um, for 2021. So that makes Logan Thomas uh, a fade in my category. I agree. And the way that all these Washington players are getting drafted, it's like people expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to be Patrick Mahomes this year. I mean, yeah, all which the, he's not. He's not. He's not. Like, yeah, he's good. He's going to be good for some of these guys, but not all of them. There's just no way. And I think you really hit on the important thing, especially from a best ball perspective, which is what we're primarily focusing on at this point in the year. He just doesn't have a ceiling. It was what, two games with over 66 receiving yards and tight end four, right? You know, that's a smash from where you were drafting him last year, but I don't know how much that's going to translate this year. And you also have to take into account that the drop off is steep. You know, the drop off is over six points from tight end two to tight end four in PPR points per game from, you know, the tight end position. So, you know, we're looking for guys with high week to week upside and Logan Thomas, you know, turned out to be a compiler, which was fine with his current cost last season. But with the cost that it takes to get him now, you're just you don't want a compiler. You want somebody with weak winning upside. And he just mm-hmm. proves not to have that. Yep, I, I definitely agree. And I think the Fitzpatrick point is also pretty important. 
it. He's not going to be able to support four to five like major fantasy assets at this point in his career. He's one of the more inconsistent quarterbacks in the NFL. You really don't know which Ryan Fitzpatrick you're going to get on a weekly basis. I do think he is a boost to Terry McLaurin and the other Washington wide receivers, especially a boost from like Dwayne Haskins and, and Taylor Heineke. But like you said, he he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not, you know, Deshaun Watson. He's, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick at the end of the day. So gotta, gotta be careful about that too. Yeah. You know, he shows up all dressed cool to the press conferences. Everybody loves that, but you know, let's settle down a bit in terms of fantasy production. <laughs> All right, number four on our list is a player that we've disparaged at points, you especially on this podcast in the past, (laughs) but, you know, uh, let's keep it going. Tyler Lockett. What's the issue with Tyler Lockett? Going as the wide receiver 22 on underdog with an early fifth round price tag, ADP 50.6. God, I, I, I just hate this guy. (laughs) <laughs> okay, that's, that's been a kind of a theme over the last couple of podcasts is talking about players I hate and, and why I hate them. <laughs> but Tyler Lockett, I mean, he he's just a virgin beta bitch. All right. And he's not going to be an alpha. He never was. He never is, obviously, with DK Metcalf there as well. And if we're just, you know, not talking about him as a person, if we're just looking at his stats you know, he hasn't had a season where he's gone over 1,057 yards. That's his career high. Tyler Lockett had 10 out of 16 games last season with 12.7 points or less in PPR. You know, if you were drafting him last year, yeah, you were hyped that he was scoring the 53-pointers and the 37-point games. But for a majority of the season, he was an L. And if you rostered him last last season, your team's probably lost and didn't win any money. And that's just what it comes down to with Tyler Lockett. I feel like he is a boom or bust wide receiver at this point in his career. Obviously, he's in a good situation with Russ and not much behind Tyler Lockett in terms of receiving options. But they did draft Dwayne Eskridge. They added Gerald Everett. So there is a little bit more competition for targets. And with Tyler Lockett, I mean, God, I just don't want any part of him if you have to take him in the early fifth round as a wide receiver two and I would put my money on Tyler Lockett as a guy that finished as a wide receiver one in 2020 but not finishing as a wide receiver even two in 2021 I think there's going to be a drastic fall off with Tyler Lockett this year yeah and, and I'm right there with you he's coming off of a great year you know you can't deny it career high in targets and receptions his first season with 100 receptions and he had 10 touchdowns for the second time in his career as well but the yard per reception was the lowest it's ever been. He's the least efficient. You know, his career average in yards per reception from 2015 to 2019 was 13.94. It was over three yards lower at 10.5 last year. To your point about him being boom or bust, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, right? Especially in best ball, we want those boom weeks and there aren't that many players. There aren't that many players period in the NFL who have 20 target games in their range of outcomes. Like that's something that we see maybe once, maybe twice per year. And and Lockett did it week seven, 15 receptions on 20 targets for 200 yards and three touchdowns, absolutely smashed. But those 53 fantasy points accounted for 19.96% of all of his fantasy production through 16 games, you know, call it 20% in one game and if that's what you're paying for I would rather get that later let me get Devontae Smith 
or, or you know, Jalen Waddle or Will Fuller or DJ Chark. All of these guys are going much later and I think offer that same similar sort of boomer bust quality without the price tag. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, Tyler Lockett is a guy who should be being drafted in like the Jarvis Landry range, not in the Jamar Chase, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Robert Woods tier. It's just he's in the wrong tier in terms of ADP. Yeah, I definitely agree. And if we're just looking at some other players around him, I would much rather have the nine receivers below him over uh, Tyler Lockett, according to underdog fantasy ADP, which is what we're using. Uh, So some of those wide receivers are Cooper Cup, Kenny Galladay, Deontay Johnson, T Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, etc. So I'd rather have all of those guys over Tyler Lockett and yeah, it's it is okay to say like yeah, 20 targets isn't his range of outcomes, but that is just a complete outlier game where Russ was literally only looking to Tyler Lockett for whatever reason and Tyler Lockett is just a guy that a majority of the time is not going to give you more than 10 targets in a week in his entire career. Okay, his entire career, he has 4 games with 10 or more targets. Mm. Let that sink in. Three of them were in 2020. Very interesting. I also think it's worth noting that the first half of last year, there was the DK Metcalf versus Tyler Lockett debate. Who's the true wide receiver one? That debate is well over. I that mean, was, it was never over. a debate with me. No, that, it, it was never a debate <laughs> with either of us, but it was a debate, you know, in terms of people, uh, you know, playing DraftKings every week. You know, who do I start? Who do, who's the real alpha here? I mean, we knew all along it was DK Metcalf, but I think the field knows now, and uh, that that gap is only going to continue to widen. Biden as as DK Metcalf <laughs> evolves into his true alpha form. Yeah, I agree one million percent. I'm off Tyler Lockett, and you know I'll probably never draft him for the rest of his career in fantasy football. So, all right, let's move on to number three on our top fades list, and we're gonna go to running back here, David Montgomery. Look, this man made us an ass ton of money on DraftKings last year. Like it, it is. You know, shout out to him for that. You know, can't take that away, but uh, it's over, okay? It's a new (laughs) year. RB20 on underdog, early fourth round. I'm not touching him. I am not touching him at all. I have zero shares of David Montgomery across underdog and drafters, and I just think the downside outweighs the upside with David Montgomery. Like you said, we made so much money off of him in DFS, and I even traded for him in our home league, which worked out, but he had the nut run out in 2020. Yes. Like, there's absolutely no denying that. He faced some of the worst run defenses that we have seen over the last 10 years of football, um, including the Packers, the Texans, the Jags, the Titans, just the multiple teams, the Lions, the Vikings, just multiple teams with terrible, terrible run defenses. And then also Tariq Cohen went down early in the season, which benefited David Montgomery because they had nobody behind Tariq Cohen on the depth chart to replace those touches. Wait, Cordero Patterson is nobody? Yeah. <laughs> this man's like Cordero Patterson. All right, but <laughs> Patterson, is, he's a stone scrub. But up until last season, you know, David Montgomery showed virtually nothing. He was looked upon as a bust. People thought he was trash, myself included. And he just ran into the pure nuts 
last year, and that's not going to happen again in 2021. Tariq Cohen is coming back from his torn ACL. They went out and signed Damian Williams, who is a capable running back in the NFL. So this is just a running back by committee in the making if it's not one already. So I want none of David Montgomery at his current price tag as the RB20. And I will say if there was one running back one from last season, I would bet on to finish outside of the top 24. It would be David Montgomery. And I, I would double down on that right with you. Look, I mean, Montgomery has had a relatively objectively solid start to his career. I know the talent has always been a question, but 240 plus touches in each of his first two seasons. And from year one to year two, he improved in literally every metric you can look at. More attempts, more yards, higher yards per carry, higher yards per target, more targets, more receptions, and more touchdowns. But We say it all the time. Past results don't indicate future success. And for all the reasons that you listed, I just don't see any of that applying from year two to year three. Tariq Cohen is a player who had 70 plus catches in 2018, 2019, and he only played three games last year, you know, two and a half realistically. So he's going to come back and get the receiving role. Damian Williams is a year removed from being a player who was deserving of the Super Bowl MVP. He's a clear cut improvement on Cordero Patterson and whatever he does get in terms of workload, I expect him to do more than what Patterson did. I don't think that statement needs to be explained any further. And, you know, the other, the other elephant in the room that nobody seems to be talking about is that Trubisky, the starting quarterback who is averaging 3.3 rush attempts per game is going to be replaced very soon by Justin Fields, who I I think we both expect to be rushing the ball a little bit more than 3.3 times per game. David Montgomery Mm -hmm. is not going to get the monster workload that he had. He's not going to get the nut run out that he had in, in terms of strength of schedule. And there's just literally nothing to me that indicates David Montgomery is worth an early fourth round pick. And he seems to be being drafted completely outside of of the tier he belongs in yeah I mean I'm I'm right there with you I will say the Justin Fields potentially being the starter for the Bears would you know increase the overall ceiling of the Bears offense which could be a plus argument for David Montgomery but I, I would I would tend to agree with your statement of you know if Fields is the guy he's going to be averaging more than 3.3 rushing attempts I think that would hurt David Montgomery more if Justin Fields is the starter although the Bears offense would be a little bit better with Fields at the helm but other than that I don't really see much upside with David Montgomery. You know, RB20 is whatever, but if you're spending a fourth round pick on a guy that has relatively no upside, in my opinion, and he won't see 54 catches again, I could tell you that for 100% fact. I I just don't see the love and the hype for David Montgomery in 2021. I'm fading him completely, and I'll be fine with that, especially when he doesn't, you know, do what everybody's hoping that he can can uh, do in 2021. Facts, facts. Number two on the list is another running back that I think we both are relatively low on compared to the market. And that's J.K. Dobbins going as the running back 17. His ADP on underdog is 28.2. That's an early third round pick. And he's a guy that I have virtually no shares of, maybe a little bit here and there sprinkled through over 100 drafts. But all in all, I'm pretty much staying away from J.K. Dobbins at this price. I don't have many shares of J.K. either, but I feel like with 
JK. It's more so a conversation about the team and and the way they use the players on the Ravens rather than JK himself, because we know that he's a talented running back and they drafted him in, in what the second round last year. And he came on and he produced, he was really efficient and he looked to be like a, a top tier running back just in terms of rushing the football. But we know that the Ravens are going to use Gus the bus, our, our guy Gus. Um, yep. We know that Lamar is going to be a factor on the ground game, scoring rushing touchdowns, taking away rushing attempts, yards, all of that. So it's just the way the Ravens run their offense. They're going to use three guys on the ground game. And then you also combine that with the fact that Lamar isn't throwing to his running backs at a very high rate. I just don't see the upside with J.K. Dobbins. You're pretty much drafting him at like his ceiling, I think, at RB17. Um, he finished as the RB24 last season and only averaged 11.2 points per game although he was like otherworldly efficient last year by running back standards I don't I don't know man I don't see the ceiling with JK if he's not catching passes if he's getting vultured attempts on the ground by Gus and Lamar I don't see it so I'm staying away for those reasons yeah it's a pretty easy fade for me like yes he was wildly efficient had 805 yards as a rookie you know he wasn't even really the starter to begin the year and, and you know that's good and all but like you said Gus our boy is going to be involved between 133 and 144 carries in three consecutive seasons with the Ravens that role is locked in it's not going anywhere you know Lamar Jackson averaged more yards per game on the ground than J.K. Dobbins I don't really expect that to change and you know you talked about how these guys were utilized in the Ravens scheme the way that they use J.K. Dobbins I, I see virtually no upside on the scale of a full season right he had less rush attempts inside the 20 than Lamar Jackson and the same amount as Gus Edwards, but the closer and closer that they got to the end zone, they leaned further and further away from J.K. Dobbins. You know, Gus the Bus had more attempts inside the 10, as did Lamar Jackson, and inside the 5 as well. I think it's a fluke that J.K. Dobbins finished with three more touchdowns than Edwards. I could see that flip-flopping, and I think that realistically, J.K. Dobbins is a guy who's going to finish with under 25 receptions. I think his touchdown numbers come down, and, and I think he finishes third in terms of rushing touchdowns on his own team. So, it's just not something I want to pay for in the third round. Now, the the little bit of bail that I will shoot him is he is a talented enough player to put up monster weeks. So maybe, maybe there's some merit to drafting him in a format like the DraftKings best ball tournament where there's big money weighted in the later weeks with playoff weeks and you could make the same case on underdogs. So maybe, you know, he catches fire at the right time. But if we're talking about a season long league or a full points best ball tournament like on drafters, I just think that you're completely burning that third round pick by going with J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. If I'm wrong on J.K. Dobbins, like I'll be fine with that. The process, if you're a winning basketball player, in my opinion, the process tells you to fade. So for that reason, I'm fading J.K. Dobbins just for all of the reasons that we've talked about and listed. And I, I think if you're drafting him in the third round, you're just hoping that the talent will win out and that one of those guys gets a smaller role in the offense in 2021, which probably won't happen. So take that as you will. J.K. Dobbins, I mean, he's I think he's one of the easiest fades in the first three rounds. Yep, I agree. I would rather have Gus Edwards at his current price 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> Gus the bus. Gus the bus. All right, Joey, let's get down to business. All right. The the top player on our fade list, somebody with a first round ADP. 
Okay, and this may not come as a surprise to longtime listeners of the podcast, people who know our brand, people who know that we are on team fade expensive tight ends. Travis Kelsey going as the tight end one, clear cut, underdog ADP of 7.3 mid first round pick, you know, never falling outside the first. Tell the people why we're fading him. Yeah, I mean, I I love Kelsey, right? He's a great tight end, great football player, a phenomenal fantasy football player, but you know, as founders of the never pay up for tight ends movement, Ben and myself are the founders. He he's just he's just a clear cut fade. I you know I, I get the edge that having an elite tight end gives you in large field best ball tournaments. Like I understand that, so I get the reasoning behind the pick. But for me, when you can get players such as Darren Waller, George Kittle, even Kyle Pitts at this point, in my opinion, if you can get those guys, you know, two, three four five rounds later um you know five rounds later with Kyle Pitts god it's hard to draft Kelsey in the first round for me especially when I feel like securing a workhorse running back which I think is a dying breed is better in the first than securing Travis Kelsey in the first so for those reasons I'm out on Travis Kelsey in the first round I think Darren Waller George Kittle Kyle Pitts are all kind of like the same athletically gifted players in offenses where they will be you know either the first or the second target I'd much rather have those guys than Travis Kelsey at their current ADPs yeah look it's not necessarily an indictment on Kelsey it's just a question of roster construction and I think it's a question of embracing risk okay Travis Kelsey Last year, only five skill position players finished with more fantasy points per game in PPR than Kelsey. That's great, right? And Kelsey should be the tight end one. You know, it makes sense. He's going to get the targets. He's going to get the receptions. He's attached to Patrick Mahomes. Everybody knows why Kelsey's a good player. But what it comes down to is he's a floor pick. And that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for ceiling. Okay, yes, he, he might finish in the top 10 in terms of fantasy points per game. And that's great. But you should not be using a first round pick on someone who's going to finish top 10. You should be shooting for the stars. You should be shooting for that number one player, whether that's a running back or the wide receiver one, whoever whoever you think that's going to be. The, the fact of the matter is that the elite running backs and the elite wide receivers have a higher ceiling. And if you are trying to go for ceiling, if you're trying to go for first and not just have a weekly edge on your opponent so that you're that your mean outcome is higher, that your floor is higher, then I think that you should be passing up on Kelsey 10 out of 10 times in the first round. I have virtually no shares. Maybe that's going to burn me in the end, but it it feels like the correct process. And the edge, especially in best ball, is reduced because, yeah, you know, on a week-to-week basis, Kelsey is going to have a much higher floor than whoever else you try and plug in there. But if you get three, four guys and you don't have to worry about starting them, all you need is good variance on your side and good touchdown weeks corresponding Mm -hmm. between between your three or two tight ends. So to me, I don't know, man. Uh, Kelsey's a fade. I hate to say it. He's a great player, but I I just can't stomach spending Mm -hmm. a a top seven pick on a tight end. It it makes me sick to my stomach. Yeah, it makes me uh, throw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, Every time I'm in that one six, one seven range and Kelsey's on the board and he's just sitting there staring at you, especially Mm -hmm. when you see his ADP have the number like 6.2 or or whatever it is right next to it. So you're like, damn, should I take him right now? Should I not take him? Um, Usually I end up not taking him uh, just for all the reasons that we've listed. Because you're you're an alpha. 
You're not a yeah. beta bitch. That, that's what it really comes down to. If you're an alpha, you're not taking a tight end in the first round. It's really that simple. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, tight end is the least valuable position in fantasy football. So obviously, like I understand why getting an elite tight end is beneficial. But like you said, if you're drafting in the top six, top seven, you want guys that have the overall ceiling to finish as the highest scoring fantasy player uh, for that season. And a tight end is just never going to do that. I don't think it's ever happened in the history of the NFL. And I don't think it will happen um, in the next couple of years. So I agree with everything that you said. And that, you know, unfortunately makes Travis Kelsey a, a, a fade in the first round. And you know, we, we might get hated for that take, but um, I, I think we'll win money on that take and they won't. So, yeah, I mean, they can hate all they want, but we'll be laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And, and there you have it. Our top five fades of 2021, Travis Kelsey, J.K. Dobbins, David Montgomery, Tyler Lockett and Logan Thomas. If you guys agree, disagree, make sure you hit us up on Twitter. Let us know if we're right, if we're wrong, if we're bugging, if we're tripping or if we are just the absolute sharpest, which is, you know, the, the actual truth. Very, but, very likely. Yeah, very, very likely for sure. But before we get out of here, let's close out with another edition of 1v1, mano y mano, me versus Joey. We're, we're going to see who can win this player debate. Uh, let's get into it. <laughs> All right, this week we are going to be debating Devontae Adams. And Joey, I'm tossing it to you first. I went first last week. Give me the pro case for Devontae Adams. I mean, what's not to like about Devontae Adams, the best wide receiver in the NFL last season in 2020 um, from a real life and a fantasy football perspective? I mean, he was just so much better than everybody else in terms of fantasy points last year, put up multiple 40-plus point games, so we know his ceiling is incredible. And I, I feel like the only negative surrounding Adams right now is obviously the Rodgers situation, which we touched on last podcast if you're interested in listening to that. But I personally believe that Rodgers will be with Green Bay in 2021, so I'm not docking Adams too much for that situation right now. And I, I know that a popular argument every single season with just play with players who score a lot of touchdowns is touchdown regression. And yeah, there, there might be some touchdown regression. He might not score 18 touchdowns again, but Adams has always been a touchdown scorer in his career so far. He scored 10 plus touchdowns in four out of five seasons as a starter, which is fantastic uh, for fantasy football. So Adams with him being a target monster with him having an elite connection with Rogers, probably the best connection in the NFL. He has a Elite red zone use usage. He had the most targets in the red zone out of any player in the NFL last season. We know that they look to him more than any other player on the Packers in the red zone. And honestly, there's there's no major competition for targets. Like Alan Lazard, you know, he's fine. MVS is whatever. They drafted Amari Rogers, who is just, you know, kind of like a short slot receiver type gadget player. Um, they have Robert Tunyon, who's whatever. He's not really a difference maker. 
I don't I don't see many guys on the Packers that are going to compete with Devontae Adams for targets. So if you're getting him right now on underdog as the wide receiver four, Tyreek Hill, Diggs, and AJ Brown are going above him, and he's going above guys like D Hop, Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf right now. I think that you should be buying Devontae Adams, especially since this is a guy that was going as the wide receiver one not too long ago before this whole Rodgers debacle came out and whatever before that happened. He was the wide receiver one. So I'm taking the value on Adams right now as the wide receiver four going in the second round. And I just don't see any negatives um, surrounding Devontae <clears throat> Adams in 2021. I mean, I think the negative is that the risk reward proposition just simply doesn't make sense. I agree with you that Aaron Rodgers is most likely going to be the Packers starting quarterback this season. But I mean, how confident are we in that take? I, I mean, are we 60% sure? 99%. Yeah, you're, you're a lot more confident me. than I am. I mean, I think it's more like 40, 60%. And, that, and that's being generous. It could be 50-50. And if there's a 50-50 shot that Jordan Love is throwing this man the ball this season, then, you know, he's 100% at best a wide receiver too. He's outside of the wide receiver one conversation at that point. And, you know, you, you talked about, oh, maybe he's going to get some touchdown regression. No, 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 no. He is going to get some touchdown regression. 30% of Devontae Adams' points came from touchdowns in a season that Aaron Rodgers threw the most touchdowns of his entire career. And, and to put that in perspective, when you look at some of the other top five wide receivers, elite players, you know, they're they're not getting that much of their production from touchdowns, which we know is the most random and hard to predict and carry over year to year stat for wide receivers. Calvin Ridley at 19.1%, Diggs only 14% of his production came from touchdowns, DeAndre Hopkins only 12.5%. I, I just don't see it. I I don't see Aaron Rodgers throwing for 48 touchdowns again, and th simply the risk of you know having Jordan Love as a starting quarterback I think is enough to drop him to the bottom of this tier. It would take injuries to you know Mahomes, Josh Allen, Ryan Tannehill, Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson to really impact these other players in that tier. And the injury risk for all of those guys and Rodgers is about the same, but the risk of any of those quarterbacks just leaving the situation and the chemistry that drives that player like Rodgers does with Adams, you know, vanishing into thin air is essentially none for every player except for Devontae Adams in that tier. And for that reason, to me, the risk and the reward just doesn't make sense because what's the reward? Wide receiver one overall, there's like six or seven guys who have that in, in their range. So I, I just don't see what the point of making that gamble is. It's, it seems like a bad bet. I mean, it's definitely not a bad bet because you're still getting the best wide receiver in the NFL who has 40 plus point games in his range. He's of not going to be the best wide receiver um, in the NFL if Jordan loves his quarterback. I hate to break it to you. But you're thinking it's a 40, 50% chance that, that he's the quarterback. I'm projecting 90% chance. There, There's no shot that, that Rodgers isn't gonna, going to play for Green Bay. Like, he's going to play for Green Bay for 17 games. If that happens, Devontae Adams is what a What percentage smash. chance do you think that Aaron Rodgers replicates his MVP production and, you know, comes out and has another career year this late in his career? I mean, obviously the chances of him replicating what he did last season is lower, right? But the Green Bay Packers offense has steadily improved ever since Matt LaFleur 
joined a couple years ago. We obviously know that Rodgers and Devontae Adams, like I said, have the best connection out of any quarterback wide receiver duo in the NFL. Devontae Adams still one of the most talented wide receivers in the NFL. And what? He put up more 40-plus point games last season than anybody, and that's what we want in best ball. We want those spike weeks, and Devontae Adams is a guy that can give you those spike weeks and then you also throw in that they're playing an extra game like Devonte Adams only played in 14 games last season and outscored every wide receiver that played in more games than him by 30 plus points in PPR leagues I, I, I don't know I mean I, I could see the downside with Adams especially if Jordan Love is his quarterback but I think the downside is mitigated by the Packers really not having anybody else behind Devontae Adams. He's still going to be a target monster no matter who his quarterback is, and he has the talent to be a productive fantasy wide receiver no matter who's throwing the football to him. So I don't really care too much about the Jordan Love argument. I think that's just you getting in your own head, and I'm not not taking DeAndre Hopkins and Calvin Ridley and, you know, DK Metcalf above Devontae Adams, even A.J. Brown. We'll have to let the people decide. Uh, if you guys have a strong take on this, make sure you let us know. If you're listening on YouTube, comment below. And I think that that is going to be it for episode 143 of the DFS Dose podcast. If you are not already, make sure you are following us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. I am at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carey and DFS. New episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform on the internet. We'll be back next week on June 10th with episode 144. If you ever want to draft with us, we do live streams every Monday on the YouTube channel, Twitch, and Twitter. You can join our Discord channel for a heads up on when we plan to go live so you can jump in, chat, draft, and chill with us if you'd like to. If you're listening out there, just know that we appreciate you, we value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes.